You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMARQ. Each episode features a unique discussion led by public sector executive and global government thought leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. I play with Justin Williams, who, for people who aren't familiar with him, his nickname was Mr. Game 7. Um, we called him Mr. Perfect. He was just somebody who was so well-rounded, just an absolutely well-rounded human being. He was loads of experience. And uh, what he, what I took from him is we would finish a game and you'd be really, really pissed if you lost a game, right? Especially if a team crushed you. And uh, I'd come into the room and, like most other guys, be sulking a little bit. And... Uh, he would just be kind of, he'd be upset, but he'd be going about his business. And, and I'd say, you know, uh, one of his nicknames was stick, be stick. Like, man, that was, that was so frustrating. And he would just turn to me, look at me and he'd go, we tip our cap and we move on. And I'm just like, that's it. He says, that's it. He says, they played better than us. What, what else are we going to do? And I just thought it was awesome that he was able to, you know, it's like he just came off winning two cups in three years and then he was with us and he had won, I think, three total in his career, maybe. And I was just amazed at how, how good he was at being able to flip the switch and go on to the next one. And uh, I really, really took that to heart. So I think that was uh, that was a really interesting learning lesson for me because you hear people say it all the time, but actually see it in action is is, is pretty neat from someone as successful as him. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. And I have to start off this episode with a big personal announcement. My wife and I welcomed Asher Beckett to our family on April 28th. It's been a chaotic last week or so, but so incredibly worth it. He really has just fit right in with us and it's been incredible. And I really want to thank all the people that have reached out to me to say congrats. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to posting more pictures and I'm sure I'll, I'll have some out there for you guys to see. So thank you all for that. And even better, Asher made it in time for the NHL playoffs, which is a big deal in our house because we're a big Washington Capitals family. And that is one of the reasons I'm excited to be able to introduce my guest for today's episode. Carl Alsner is a former NHL defenseman for the Washington Capitals and also the Montreal Canadiens. He recently retired from the NHL and then has landed where else but the government technology space where he's supporting the partner organization at Thundercat Technology. Our conversation is going to cover a little bit about his career, some of his thoughts on what it takes to not only achieve your dream, but also have staying power, plus how he got into the GovTech space and what he's doing right now with the team at Thundercat. So let's jump right into it. Carl, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me today, brother. No, it's my pleasure, Brian. It's exciting. As, as you know, I'm a podcast guy, so uh, I'm happy to get any sort of podcast experience that I can. I mean, th this is great because, I mean, it's not every day I get to bring on a former NHL player to the show. And so I'm grateful for you being here as well. And as a lifelong Caps fan, I've been looking forward to this conversation, but even more so to learn about your new role involving government IT modernization with Thundercat, which is pretty cool. But before we talk about that. I wanted to start a little closer to the beginning. I know you grew up playing hockey up in Canada. I would imagine if you're Canadian, you kind of get a hockey stick at birth. Um, but you're ultimately drafted fifth overall in, in 2007 by the Caps. But there's obviously a moment long before that, 
when you knew professional hockey was where you'd end up. Do you remember that moment? Well, you know what? It's it's kind of a it was interesting because I'm I'm a big uh, proponent of doing everything. You know, like especially now where parents and I'm a parent, so I can already start to see it. Um, they really want to hone in on one thing. Like let's take hockey, for example. And, and they want to have their kid on the ice four or five times a week and stick handling in the garage and, you know, playing street hockey, whatever it is. And it's just a lot. And so the way that I did it was, you know, I was playing everything. I, you know, if, depending on the season, that's what I was playing. And so it, when it came down to it, when things started to get a little bit more serious for me, it became, you know, a choice between hockey and baseball. And, um, I, I really loved playing baseball. I was probably a better baseball player than I was a hockey player, but I didn't like the position I was playing. I was playing catcher and I wanted to play third base, but nobody else wanted to play catcher. So it was, that was where I was every single game. And then when it came down to, you know, making that decision, which one are you going to stick with? Um, it became hockey for me, which, you know, growing up where I grew up, it made the most sense. But, um, you know, it, the way I played every sport was just on love. You know, whichever one I liked to play the most, whichever, whichever one I seem to have the better friends in um, maybe even the scheduling was a little bit better uh, that that's kind of the direction that I went and I loved watching hockey. So it made sense for me to continue to pursue that. And there was opportunity. There's tons of opportunity in Canada, especially where I grew up. So that was a natural direction for me. I think there's some good advice there for any parents listening around <laughs> not specializing too early. Right. I mean, I, I grew up a soccer player and, and played in college and even professionally and, it starts so young, especially with parents now where, I mean, I've, I've done some coaching too, and you see parents that just think their kid is going to go pro at like seven or eight, and they just have them doing that. And I mean, taking injuries uh, out of it, I mean, just burnout mentally alone is certainly mm-hmm. something to think about. Yeah. Where, so, sure. so that was one big inflection point, right? And early on in your career where you made that decision, as you look across your career, once you made that decision, were there any other kind of inflection points across your career that you can point to that really got you to where you where you were during your career and where you are today? Yeah, there were. And and just just quickly to, to go back and touch on that, what you said about uh, burnout and stuff, you can learn so much from other sports too, right? Like you, you remember, so so hockey, it's, it's the same skating stride over and over again. It's the same rotation with the shot. Um, but you can gain so much from, say, playing soccer. You can become lighter on your feet. You can have, uh, you know, quicker feet, change of direction, stuff like that. Baseball, you can have hand-eye, which comes into play with your hockey. There's there's lots of different things that can play. So that's, if there is advice from, from me to a parent, it's, it's, you know, let them kind of dictate their own path in that sense and give them opportunity. Um, but, yeah, going back to some inflection points, I mean, <clears throat> I had one that I can I can really look back on and say, it changed the direction of how I um, trained, I guess you'd say. Uh, we, my, my one coach, he started realizing that, you know, our, the team was good, the players were good, but now we needed to make sure that we were, we had enough energy to, uh, to sustain, you know, our pace for these games. And so he started getting us to run track and we were like 12 or 13 years old. And you know, none of us were, were really working out at all at this point. We were just, we were in shape from playing sports. Um, and so he had us running track and I was, we're going around this doing 400 meters, 800 meters, some sprinting. And I was always finishing last or second last. And that really bugged me, you know, being, being as competitive as I am, I was, I was mad. And so it was a, a point where I'm like, you know what, if I want to, if I want to get good, I need to put in 
little bit more work um, than than what I'm doing now and then what everybody else is doing. So that's when I started eating a little bit healthier. I started doing my own training on the side. And uh, next after that season uh, came back and I was first every single time I was it was just a, a moment of realization that I'm like, you know, if I want to want to be better than everyone, I got to put in a little bit more work than what everybody else is doing. And uh, and, and that should get me to the next the next spot, I, I think. Um, I had a couple other things that were I mean, both my parents, um, I think like most most kids, they they watch what they do and, and they kind of mirror mirror them and and I had two extremely hardworking parents that uh, that you know my dad was was ultra competitive he still is like we'd play tag every second of the day you know it was always whoever was it at the end of the day lost um, never let me win in anything like a lot of dads do and I think that helped a lot and the same thing with my mom for her it was cards we played cards and she would would never let me win so I think I think that uh, that grit that they they instilled in me was big but then. I would say probably one of the biggest things looking back on my career and how it went too is I got accused during my um, my first year, I think it was in the minors, by our trainer of faking an injury so I didn't have to play. And it was a concussion. And so concussions are kind of weird injuries to diagnose. And I remember that just like like really hitting me hard thinking like, I would never do something like that. And someone's now accused me of doing that. Um, I'm going to prove not only to that person, but to everybody that that will never be something that, that follows me. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people don't, don't really know my career arc, but I, I think I ended up playing 620 something games in a row without missing a, a game due to injury or illness or anything like that. And it only ended because I got healthy scratched, which was a, a bit of a, a sore spot for me, but um, that that was something that just shook me. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna show everybody that I'm I'm gonna sacrifice every single thing that I have to make sure I'm there for my team. And uh, and to this day, it's it's still it still bugs me. It still stays with me. And uh, I, I it, it was a, it was a big big uh, turning of the tides. So interesting. One of the other pro athletes I had on on the show. Um, had an issue with concussions. It was Austin Colley who played wide receiver in the NFL for the Colts and for the Patriots. And his career ended short because of multiple concussions. And obviously concussions are an issue that are now prevalent in youth sports where people know more about them. Was that one of the first introductions into having a concussion and what it could do? And I'm curious to know kind of the culture of a trainer accusing you of faking an injury when it's obviously a head injury and things mm -hmm. have changed dramatically now, but what, what are some of your thoughts around that? Well, so that was my first experience with a diagnosed concussion, or at least what I, well, first, yeah. first one, it was obvious to me, right? Like uh -huh. I'm sure that I had some of those things when we say you ring your bell or whatever mm -hmm. along the way. But, um, this was the first one where I knew something was up, you know, I, the, the lights were different. Um, the way everything flashed across my eyes was just different headaches and all that stuff. And so, you know, I, I, I was the, my thinking as this was happening was this is my first year in pro hockey. Like I don't want to do anything that's going to mess me up long term. So obviously I need to say something and, and take some time off. Um, but it's funny the, the way that he, the way that he determined that I was faking it is because after, um, practice, one day, which obviously I didn't practice, I went to go get my car washed and it was a sunny day. You know, it was, it was, it was in the middle of spring and he 
heard, because it's a small town in Hershey, heard that I was getting my car washed and he called me and asked what I was doing. And so I told him, he says, you shouldn't be outside. If you actually have a concussion, this would be, this would be hurting your eyes and your head. And I'm like, well, I have to get home from the rink anyway. So I'm going to be outside. Like it's, it doesn't make any sense. And I'm just getting a car wash. And then he had said it to one of the older guys on the team. And I, we had, we had it out a little bit, which was scary for me. You know, this is a guy who's been around the league for a while and I'm a young guy. Um, But at the same time, you need to learn and know when to stand up for yourself and advocate for yourself. And so that's what I did. And, um, you know, there's other things with this guy and his qualifications for the job that we don't need to go into, but I I knew at that point that I was right. And um, I was just going to do my own thing after that. Yeah, I think that there's another good uh, good lesson there where if you if you feel conviction around something, just because everybody else is going a certain direction doesn't mean you have to. So I, I think that's mm-hmm. great. Yep. Talking about, I want to go back real quick to that that story you told about track and your competitive nature. Uh, I think most athletes, I would imagine, and even people listening that that aren't aren't athletes per se, but even in their job when they go through a project or something, you get to the end of it and you do a little bit of an, like an autopsy and you say, what could I have done better? And how can I get better? And is that something you went through every off season where you're, you get to the end of a long grueling season, right? But just like you kind of assessed where you were after those track workouts and said, I I don't want to be last. I need to be better here, here, and here. Is that kind of what led you into an off season or or help us understand that? Yeah. I, so everybody had, everybody sets some, some goals for themselves at the beginning of the year. And then at the end of that season, you, you see if you got there or not, what the reasons were, why you, why you may not have uh, reached those goals. And, and you try and be as lofty as possible within, you know, somewhat of a realistic realm. And, and I was always, I was always very realistic with my goals. I knew, I knew what type of player I was. I knew my lane and knew what I, what I, I, I'm I'm my hardest critic, you know. I think I think every sure. athlete, especially that makes it to that level, there, you know, the coach can yell at you, the fans can say what they want, but no one criticizes you harder than you you do internally. I say you and, know, you know. Yes, exactly. And so I would I would finish the season. I would go back and think, you know, which what direction is my game going? How could I have helped just a little bit more? And then I train towards those goals. So if I needed to shoot the puck better. I needed to train, you know, different types of movements in order to shoot better. Um, I needed to train, you know, just a little bit better in, in my precision. Uh, same thing with skating, you know, I, maybe I needed to try and drop a couple pounds, um, so I could get a little bit faster or a little bit more explosive workouts. So it was always trying to dial that in. Um, for me, I was always wanted to be in the best condition possible, um, so that I could, you know, if, if we got into a battle in the corner that, if you could only go for 30 seconds, I was going for 40 seconds, you know, and if you wanted to continue on for a minute, I'm going for a minute. 10. It's just the way that it was. And so at the end of every season, your coaches would give you some goals that they wanted you to, or some things that they wanted you to work on. And and then I would take those and I would try and go just one step above that and, and get to another level. But that being said, towards the end of my career, after, you know, some, some of the things take a toll on your body, it was a little bit harder to get, to those places and then you add kids on top of that and you know family wanting to see you um your priorities shifted a little bit and i to be completely honest my uh you know my ability to get to what my goals were wasn't wasn't 
high enough. You know, my desire wasn't high enough at that point to get there. And then I could see, you, I could see it happening. You know, it was slowly starting to trend in a direction that I didn't like, but, but every summer it was, was an opportunity to get better. And, uh, for the majority of the summers we got better. You said something interesting at the beginning of that, where when you were setting your goals, you knew what kind of player you were. You, you knew what your strengths were and you stayed in your lane and kind of want to do that. I think it, it becomes natural for not just athletes, but anybody to want to jump into a project, jump into a game and, and want to try to outperform and do things to help the team, even if it's not in your strengths. But I think a lot of us know you start doing that and you actually start to bring the team down. Were there any, any ways that you found, like even mentally that helped you stay in that lane, right? I mean, you, you're not going to go score 50, 60 goals a, a season, right? So those shouldn't be your goals. And in a playoff game where it, it's a game seven, you're probably not thinking, I'm the guy that has to go score that goal. You're thinking, I just need to shut down the people that are coming at me. I need to be able to stay in my lane, do what I do really well. How do you, how do you prepare for that? And how in the middle of it, when adrenaline's going, do you, do you stay in that lane? Well, I think when you, when you work as part of a team and it's not just sports related, like even, even with what I'm doing now and, and I'm, and I'm very fresh in it. So there's still things that I'm learning, but, but if, if I ask somebody to, um, you know, put together a package for me with some, some specific, um, uh, you know, hardware and software and stuff, I'm, I'm not the best person for that. So I'm going to go to the people who are good at that and expect them to do their job, you know, as, as they would, and then bring that to me so that I can do my job. And so we all work together and it's the same thing with hockey. You know, I know I'm not as good of a goal scorer as, as Alex Ovechkin is, but what can I do? What can I do to help him? So I'm, I'm going to be able to, to stop something in my own zone and then give him an outlet pass to do what he does. You know, I don't need to, I don't need to go above and beyond, which is, you know, maybe doesn't sound like a good thing. You know, you always want to try and go above and beyond, but when you're working as a team, if I don't do my job, then I've, we're, we're not as good in that spot, you know? So I need to make sure that I'm, I'm always as good at, you know, playing defense, shutting guys down, being a good teammate, making the outlet pass, and then let the next guys do their job. And, and we work in conjunction with each other. So I think that was, um, I needed to make sure that I added a few little things every year, but I also needed to make sure that I was still just as good, if not better, at the things that uh, that were expected of me. You mentioned you mentioned Alex Ovechkin. Obviously, across your entire career, you played with a lot of great players, right? He's he's one of just a few. I mean, Mike Green on defense, John Carlson. You and John Carlson were joined at the hip from Hershey into Washington, and then also, I mean, great players along the way, and even in Montreal. What were some of the things that you felt like you were able to take from other people's games mentally, physically, that made you not only a better player throughout your career, but even as you're, you're now shifting careers and, and working at Thundercat that you feel like have helped you along the way? Well, I'm sure there's things that I, I took and I didn't really realize that I did, you know, from, yeah. from guys, little bits and pieces along the way. Um, a few that probably stick out um, were... I'd say Jay Beagle, who maybe not a name that everybody would know, but he was one of the hardest working players I ever met in my life. He was actually my workout partner in the summer he, too. He's actually so, one of my favorite ones and actually my son's favorite cap. He started oh, really? crying when he found out he wasn't getting resigned and going to Vancouver. He was crying. 
Yeah. Well, he's, yeah. he's, a, he's like a blue collar guy, you know, he can, yeah. he's relatable uh, and people I think really like that about him. Um, and, and so he was, he was different than me because he was a go as hard as you can, but for short bursts. And I was kind of like the slow burn, you know, so us working out together was a funny combination because he would, you know, he would beat me up the hill if we were running, running hill sprints all the time, but you know, he would do five and I would try and do 10, you know, that was kind of the different, different programs that we were on. So it was always, it was always really fun to work out with him um, and always pushed me a lot. So I think that, that really, really helped. We also had this thing that we were, um, <laughs> it was, it was pretty funny. So we'd have the skate test at the beginning of every year and it was, it was pretty challenging. Um, and so our trainer said to us that one summer when we were preparing for it, he said, Hey, whatever you do, um, just don't let people know that you're tired. You know, always, always find a way to, to game them. And so anytime we finished a workout, he didn't want us to, you know, be keeled over, suck and wind. We had to stand up straight and, and recover. And so we get to training camp and we were in good shape. We were in really good shape, but we would do the skate test and everybody would be hanging on their knees, like just trying to get as much air as possible. And me and Jay would just be standing there side by side, like not trying, trying to like hold our breath almost. And I remember the coaches would come up to us after and be like, I don't know what you guys are doing in Calgary, but we need to get the rest of the guys on this program. And so that was kind of a, it was a mental victory for us too. You know, we just, we knew that we were doing something right. So that was something that I took from him. Um, we had, I played with Justin Williams, who for people who aren't familiar with him, his nickname was Mr. Game 7. Um, we called him Mr. Perfect. He was just somebody who was so well-rounded, just an absolutely well-rounded human being. It was, it was so much fun to be around him. Loads of experience. And uh, what he what I took from him is we would finish a game and, you know, we would be, you'd be really, really pissed if you lost a game, right? Especially if a team crushed you. And uh, I'd come into the room and, you know, like most other guys be sulking a little bit. And uh, he would just be kind of, he'd be upset, but he'd be going about his business. And, and I'd say, you know, uh, one of his nicknames was stick, but stick like, man, that was, that was so frustrating. And he would just turn to me, look at me and he'd go, we tip our cap and we move on. And I'm just like, that's it. He says, that's it. He says, they played better than us. What, what else are we going to do? We'll watch it in video tomorrow and, and on to the next game. We got however many more left in the season and that was it. And I just thought it was awesome that he was able to, you know, it's like he just came off winning two cups in three years and then he was with us and he had won, I think three total in his career maybe. And I was just amazed at how, how good he was at being able to flip the switch and go on to the next one. And, uh, and I, I really, really took that to heart. So I think that was, uh, that was a really interesting learning lesson for me because you hear people say it all the time, but actually see it in action is, is, is pretty neat from someone as successful as him. So I, I want to get to your, your career transition, but one last question around your time with the caps, you, you mentioned it earlier, you were at, you actually set the record for the, uh, most games played consecutively, the Caps Ironman record while you were while you were in Washington. What do you think kind of led to that? Obviously, I think it goes without saying. Luck is some of some of that, right? Not picking up a knock that that'll keep you out. But are there some things that you think have kind of led to that longevity? Obviously, your workouts in the off season and staying fit are a big piece of that. But um, especially mentally. But are there areas that you think led to that that you can point to? Uh, well, you, you hit on them right there. You know, luck, luck is, 
and people people always like to flat, flatter you and say no 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 it's it's because you're tough and this and that and and you know maybe to an extent but luck is huge you know there's some things that you can play through and some things you just physically can't and uh you know i had i had things that were that were playable you know uh hand injuries broken hands broken fingers you know i have two hands <laughs> so i can play with one and i can just play smart with the other you know i i would i would find ways around that illnesses you know as long as your team is okay with you being in the room having the flu or whatever it is then then you're good and, and the team always was um and then all everything else was just kind of mental you know i that yeah the shoulder hurts but i know that it's not going to get worse by playing you know, almost, almost a hundred percent. It's not going to get much worse by playing. So let's do it. Let's find a way to do it. And I always wanted to be, um, I, I wanted my teammates to count on me. You know, I, I wanted them to know that I was going to show up every single game and they're going to get the same thing. Consistency is one of the number one things that a coach will say that they're looking out of guys for. They want, they want a consistent player going to bring the same thing every single night and you're going to have a long career. And when I heard that, I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm going to be that guy. I want them to expect this from me every single night, regardless of how I'm feeling physically or mentally. And, uh, and that was it. So I, I had that and, and I had great, great training staff. Like they did everything possible. They knew, they knew what I was going through and they knew how to get me to the point of being able to play. And, and that's what we did. Well, I mean, setting that record, it, it means that you're tailor-made for the world of government IT modernization because the, the people that work in this industry know it's, it's arduous, it's difficult, right? And you have to show up every day and, and you're going to take some, take some hits and, and play hurt, quote-unquote. But uh, I'm curious, I mean, so, so what's now got you into the world of government technology? Obviously, you're, now you're over at Thundercat Technology working in, in the partner group. What pulled you over? Yeah, so it's it's a it's a very weird transition, I guess you'd say, for someone from my background. Um, but and it's and it's kind of a funny story. I've I've told it a couple of times over the last couple of days because people have asked me that question. And um, so how it worked was, um, I, when I was living in Arlington while we were playing here, um, I'm a big lawn care guy. I like to make sure that that my landscaping looks looks nice. And so I'd be outside. Uh, in the off season, usually plucking weeds, cutting the grass, edging it, making sure it looked looked tight. And uh, I'd always see this guy walking up and down the street, back and forth on the phone almost every single day. Younger guy um, in our neighborhood that was somewhat rare and um, nice house, cars and all this stuff. And I'm like, what does this guy do? I'm just so curious. And so one day I saw him there and I, I just kind of like flagged him down and and just said, hey, man, out of curiosity, like, what do you do? You're always on the phone here talking. It looks intense. What's going on? And he just says, oh, I, I, I'm in cybersecurity. And I'm like, really? I'm like, okay, tell me more. And so we just stood there for like the next hour just talking shop. And he was telling me kind of the ins and outs of the job, the landscape, how things are changing, all that stuff. And I was just hanging on every word. And uh, and then so we, we kind of go our separate ways. And um next day same thing happens and then it was the running joke at the house that it, it would take me an hour to take the garbage out because <laughs> i would go out there to, to pull the bins to the curb and next thing you know me and dan dan schneider's his name uh we'd be we'd be talking about stuff and so um he just said to me when one day he's like look you're more interested in this than a lot of people <laughs> that i that i talked to about it um when you're done playing if you ever have any interest in getting into this world 
just let me know and, and we'll carve out a position for you. And so, uh, yeah, a few years goes by and I'm realizing that I'm going to be hanging them up pretty soon. I call up Dan and say, if you were serious about it, then uh, I'm interested. And he's said, done, let's do it. So they started working on it all, making sure that there was a position for me, something they thought that I could, I could thrive in. And, um, and then next thing you know, I'm here. Uh, it was, it was kind of, kind of funky and, um, still trying to figure out exactly what my role will be, um, with the team, but there's, um, there's lots of opportunity and there's lots of learning and I've always loved learning. So this is kind of a, uh, a good position to be in. I like that. I like that you say, whether it's a Freudian slip or not, I like that you call the team because I think that's exactly what it is when you're working with an organization and a group of people. Um, so, so at Thundercat, as you're kind of developing the role, what have you found yourself working on so far? Is it in cybersecurity? Cause Thundercat does a lot. They do more than just cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Um, what yeah. are you getting your hands into right now? So I'm, they call me a partner manager right now, <laughs> which is, uh, which is, um, a cool title, I think, because, um, I, I'm trying to, I'm a relationship person, you know, I'm always trying to make relationships with people. Um, and it's not, um, you know, I, I think all of my relationships that I make are genuine, you know, I'm, I'm looking for friends for life. Um, and that's, that was something that one of my trainers actually, um, instilled in me. He, he told me when guys retire, he, he was always talking about what guys were up to in, in life. And I'm like, how do you, like, how do you know that? He says, why well, you'll notice that I keep in touch with all my guys, even when they're done. And so I'm like, I like that. I think that's, I think that's important. And I've done that throughout the years. And so being a partner manager or channel manager, um, from what I'm, my understanding is, you know, you're, you're having, making relationships, you're making sure everybody's thought of and taken care of and questions are answered. And if I can't answer them, making sure they get to the right person. And so that's, uh, that's the role that I'm in right now. I'm helping a little bit with marketing because, you know, in the DC area, that's, uh, I guess you could say if I have a specialty outside of hockey, it would be somewhat in the marketing world. I, I, I like to go places and, and talk to people and, and make sure, um, like I said, everyone's having a good time. So, so that's uh, part of it. But then I think in, in the end, um, the sales side of things would be, would be really neat. Um, because like you mentioned, we, we do more than just cybersecurity, uh, kind of dabble in a little bit of everything as a, as a reseller. Um, so I, I, I'd like to get into it because it seems like, uh, you know, it's, it's almost in a way like a game, you know, I'm, I'm looking to win and I want to, I want to bring wins in for, for Thundercat. Um, and so that's, uh, that would probably be the end game, but it's, it's a lot of learning, like I mentioned, and I, I got to make sure that I learn the full spectrum of everything. I don't want to just know one little detail. I want to, I want to be able to, um, really fully understand all the products, all the companies we work with and, and then make sure that I'm, I'm doing the right things. Uh, it's just the way that I'm wired. So, uh, I'll be probably a little ways away from getting into sales, but that would be the end game. What, so I, as you've jumped into it, I think, I mean, anybody, not only shifting careers, but even organizations, even if you're in the same industry, there's always a, a learning curve. What have been some of the, the biggest things you've kind of tackled so far that, that have been high ceilings, but you've kind of wrapped your arms around and, and kind of found some joy in, in kind of learning more about? <laughs> well, it seems like a high ceiling to me, maybe not to people in the industry, but the acronyms, man, it's been oh like, yeah, pages and pages full of notes on acronyms and what everything means because, you know, conversations that, that everyone's having are, you know, if you're not in the know, then like it's a foreign language. And so 
the first few that I was first few meetings I was sitting in on, I'm just like, like I could not grasp it. I did not understand. And then I'd have, uh, you know, I'd, I'd explain it to people when we do like introductions They're like, oh, what, what does everybody do at this company? And I would just say, you know, like, this is, I'm brand new. This is my background. So this is, this is, uh, all new information. If you would be so kind as explaining this as, a, as you're talking to a five-year-old, then great. If not, I'll just keep writing my notes down and I'll, I'll do some research after. And so I thought that that was, that seemed like a high ceiling. It's, it's definitely come down a little bit now because I'm, I'm in these meetings and I'm starting to understand a lot more. Um, but I think just uh, I've, the first three months I've gone through like serious roller coasters. Some days I'm thinking, you know, this is too hard. I, I'm not going to grasp it. And then other days I'm like, wow, that meeting just like got me all tingly. Like it, this is, there's so many interesting things to learn here. And, uh, and as, as we've gone along, I've had a lot, a lot fewer lows, you know, I don't, I don't leave a meeting now thinking that I can't get this. So that's, that's been kind of nice. Um, but like I said to you, it's there, I want to learn it all. And I don't think that it's possible to learn it all, but I'm going to do my, my best to, to get there. And, uh, and so, uh, at this point that would be the high ceiling is trying to, trying to learn enough of everything that I can have a conversation with every, I guess, every part of, uh, of, of what the company does. I think, I mean, the acronyms will come. I, I catch myself sometimes. I mean, first of all, the feeling that you said about there's some days where you just don't feel like you're going to grasp it. And then there's other days where everything like puzzle pieces are coming together and you get all, you all jazzed up. I still have that all the time. Um, and I've been <laughs> doing this for close to 20 years now in this industry. So um, I, I think that's not, that's not even just unique to somebody who's new, but on the acronym side, I have to stop myself sometimes because so I, I work within a company where public sector is a piece of what we do. So I could have conversations with other business units and I'm throwing out acronyms, forgetting who I'm talking to and saying, oh, let me let me slow down a little bit and talk to you about this and that. And um, yeah. so at least you're working in a world where everybody understands it. And once you get that language, you can just start to start to go. Yeah, well, that's that, that's it. I'm I'm uh, I'm almost there and I bring it home. Sometimes I talk to my wife about it, like if we're going to uh, like, uh, you know, grocery shopping and say, you know, I'll somehow say that we're going to go talk to the OEM and uh, through this through this DISTI and get this uh, <laughs> different product. You know, I'm, I'm always trying to bring it to the house and and work it into our daily daily conversation, and that way that way it just becomes a little bit more natural. But that being said, I you know I, I love the acronyms and it's great, but you never know who you're who you're talking to, right? And and maybe that person doesn't know them as good as you, and so I love when I am talking to some of the people now and, and they will say, you know, um, they'll throw out an acronym, but then they'll also explain what it is. And I'm just like, thank you. Like, that's, that's what I want right there is I want to be, I want to be like that as well, where I can, where I really break it down because everybody learns differently. And, uh, and, you know, we, we don't all uh, take in this information at warp speed. So I, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, as, as clear and easy to understand as possible. Yeah. I, I mean, on, on top of that too, at the end of the day, when you're talking to them, the job isn't to sound cool right. and like you know a lot. The job is to communicate effectively. So whatever your team is working on or even outsiders are doing, they can help you be successful, right? So it's with right. that goal in mind, you want to make sure you are breaking things down and communicating effectively, right? Not not just using jargon that other people don't understand. Right, exactly. And, and one of the best meetings I've been in so far this year um, was... Uh, uh, a guy who used to be a teacher, school teacher, and he explained things 
awesome. It was so easy to follow him because, you know, he had the experience of talking to kids and he knew, mm -hmm. he knew how to get everybody's attention and make sure that he slowed down at certain parts, especially ones that were important that you really needed to, to, you know, understand and hang on. And, and he would just kind of let it sit there for a second and then he'd move on to the next thing. And, and that was, uh, you know, it was, it was good to learn from him. So as you've been in this role for a couple of months, are there, are there days where you're like, oh, you know what? This is just like this when I was playing, right? Or this is just like when I was training and doing that. Are there similarities that you're, that you're kind of uh, assimilating as you're going? Yeah, there are for sure. Um, there's two things that I, can, that I can really kind of pull on. Um, one of them is, you know, we don't go into the office all that much anymore. So much is done from, from home. So um, I always, whenever I went to the rink, I always made sure I had a big smile on, even if I had two hours of sleep the day before, whatever it was, you know, smile, say hi to everybody, talk to everybody, make sure everyone's doing good. And, and, uh, and so anytime I do go into the office, I try and make sure I, you know, everybody gets a hi, everybody, you know, how's everything going? Um, you know, I'm trying to learn everybody's name, but you know, it's, it's not always easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just that, like, you know, I like to bring a bit of a, you know, a, hopefully a refreshing attitude to the, to the office when I do go in. So that's, that's something I do. Um, but then the other thing is communication. Uh, and, and this was a huge, huge learning lesson for me right at the beginning. We did a, it's called Energize to Lead um, through our CEO, Tom Deerline. He's, a, he's a, a big believer in this. And so it's just a breakdown of your, you know, if you've done it before, of, of how, you, how you learn, how you communicate, how you work through problems. And, uh, you know, me being a partner manager, a channel manager, I had something happen where I had just met this guy. He was another channel manager from a company, met him two days before. And this was the first month, like probably the first few weeks into the job. So I literally knew nothing. And he sent me an email right after saying, Hey, I, I have something that's, that's time sensitive. Um, you know, I need an answer and a little bit of information on this. Um, will you give me a call? And I was like, he's like, I'm looking up, nobody else is on this email. It's just me. And I'm like, holy smokes, like, what do I do? And so I sat with it for a second. I was at the vet with my dog. So part of my head was like at the vet because the dog needed surgery. The other part of me was thinking about, okay, how do I handle this? What do I do? And about half an hour had gone by. And so then I called, I called my buddy at the company and just said, Hey, I got this email. You know, what should we do? He says, don't worry. I, uh, I just got the email now too. I've called him and everything is taken care of. Um, he needed a, he needed a quote, I think it was. And I'm just like, holy smokes. Like that was, that was a lot like just right there. And then, so we did this energize to lead in it. And it turns out that, um, I'm a people person and I like to communicate, but then when I feel that there's pressure, I like to kind of go inside and really take it all in and then think of a solution before I react. And I'm like, you know what? This was the situation where I, I need to learn to be better. I need to reach out right away and say, hey, I don't have the answer for you right now, but I'm going to get it to you just to make sure the person is heard. And that comes down to the communication for me. And if there was no communication at the rink or on the ice, like, good luck. You, you, you need that. And so I realized there, like three weeks into the job, that my communication needs to be better when I'm under stress. And, uh, and that was uh, something that, that really really changed things for me now. So now if I get, if I get an email that says I need something urgently, my first response is, you know, get back and, and figure out, ask or find out what it is. And then if I can help instantly do it, if I can't at least let them know that I'm on it. So that was a, uh, it was a cool experience. 
Yeah, I mean, we've been doing, I think throughout my career, I've done this a couple times where you go through, you take these assessments. So the one I've done multiple times are, are disk assessments, but very similar, right? But it's important to know how you take on information. And it's also even more important to know how other people take it on so you can communicate again, like we said, communicate effectively. Because I, I worked with a, with a boss that was a lot like you, where I knew that if I needed to get a, a good answer from him, I had to send an email ahead of time, schedule a meeting, give him time to kind of think about it, process it. If you came to him, knocked on his door and said, hey, I need information right now, you're not going to get what you want. So it's it's knowing those kind of ins and outs of working with people um, that can be challenging if you don't think about it. But if you're intentional about it, can make all the difference in the world, especially on, on a, a team. Totally. I, I, I 100% agree. And that was part of the reason why we did it. We all have these little... Uh, don't have it at my desk right now, but we have these little blocks with Lego on them and it, and it's, they're all color coded. So you know that, you know, uh, if you have more yellow, it's just someone who likes to communicate likes to be around people. If you have green and, and blue, it's just someone who's a little bit, a little bit more analytical and maybe introverted. And so everyone has them on their desk. So you can see when you go up, like, okay, like this, this is how this person typically likes to handle these problems. So like you said, know know your know your 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 workmates there and figure out how to how to deal with it. So I you're you're one hundred percent right. If you if you know the audience, then then you can communicate way better. I like the visual there. Before we, I've I've worked in an office where your assessment was there, kind of a way. This is how I like to be communicated to. But I I like the visual. That's cool. Yeah. Um, before I give you some time for some final thoughts. Uh, I'm curious to know, so what goals have you really set for yourself as you're kind of embarking on this next, uh, next phase, next career? Uh, well, my, my immediate goal is, is to be able to go into, um, meetings with partners and, uh, and I guess not have, not have so many questions and so many notes with question marks at the end of the sentence. You know, I, I want to be able to go into them, um, just being able to, get a full grasp of everything and, and understand um, all the terminology. That's, that's immediate. Cause I think once I get that, then I'll be able to, you know, loosen up a little bit more. And, uh, and I think that it'll just, it'll go a little bit smoother um, for me. So that's, I'd say that's immediate. Um, I'd love to make an impact on this company. I think that I have uh, a lot to prove because I would imagine that uh, this is just an assumption, but I would imagine that people, that are already in the world um, think what kind of what kind of value can I add add to uh, you know a company that works in in uh, you know this field and so I want to I want to prove to them that I can that I can figure it out and that I can be be an asset um, but it's funny so Dan Dan Schneider he's uh, he's the director of cyber at Thundercat and and he's been telling we had a we had a uh, uh, what do you call it it was like a club trip I guess and there was. 140 people there or something like that. It was a, it was a big trip, spouses and everything. And he's been, he's going off telling everyone I'm going to be the top sales guy in, in three to five years. <laughs> and I'm like, geez, like pump the brakes just a little bit here. Like I need to, I need some time. So I guess, uh, I guess his goal will be, will be also one of my goals is to, is to uh, be successful, hopefully in sales uh, within the next three to five years. So that's a little bit a little bit more long-term, um, but the only way to get there is by understanding everything we do and everything, every company that we work with, what they do and, and what some of their needs and wants are. So that's, I've got some, I've got some immediate to, to long-term goals already, but 
it's, it's definitely a, this is a, a one step at a time process for me. Love it. So before I let you go, any, any final thoughts you want to leave with the listeners today? Well, I mean, I, I guess if, if there was a final thought, it would just be um, like we just said about, you know, you, ne- you never know exactly who you're talking to and who you're explaining things to. And you, you might get someone like me uh, in a meeting room that needs a little bit, little bit more help um, understanding everything that's going on. Right. And I, I would, uh, I would think that as, as a, someone who's in sales um, that that person you're selling to may not know all the ins and outs and to be, be as clear as possible. And, uh, and when it comes to me, I mean, if I, if I ever meet anybody that's, that's listening to this and, and they are talking to me, uh, I'm also an open book too. Like I love, I think everything starts off with having a good relationship and, uh, and you know, I, I'm always open to uh, getting help uh, receiving help. And, and if I can, if I can help in, in any way too, then, then I'm, I'm glad to. So I, I, uh, I take, take questions from everybody and, and I take advice from everybody as well. I think, I think that's the right mindset to have. I think you're, you're going to be just fine because as long as you're continuously learning, as you know, right, it, always being a, a student at whatever you're doing and want to get better every day, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. So uh, wish you best of luck with, uh, with your new role and appreciate you again coming on, having this conversation. Good stuff. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you having me. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to govexec.com backslash podcast or wherever you listen. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Chittistrayb. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.